Now, if you would, if you'd look in your worship bulletin, um, let's have our share, make a confession of our common confession of faith from the shorter catechism. Again, speaking and reflecting upon the Lord Jesus and, and his humility. Christian, I ask you, in what did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. All right, well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you are using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 980. Our passage today is one of the great passages of all of Scripture, and, and particularly it's one of the most important passages that speak to the person and work of Christ, that speak to his nature. And we understand that Christ had this dual nature of being both fully God and fully man. And, and as we think about these things, about the nature of Christ, we have to be careful because about half of all Christological heresies come out of this particular passage where people misunderstand what is written here um, in this portion of Scripture. We're going to start looking at this passage, this broader passage of Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We'll start looking at this passage today, and we'll probably spend at least the next three Sundays um, looking at this. Um, so let's, let's begin our study of this glorious passage. Um, today we'll, we'll focus our attention especially on verses 6 through 8, but I'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. This is the holy, living an inerrant word of God. Paul writes saying, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Pray with me, please. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are deserving of all glory. You are deserving of all glory and honor and praise, for you are God. Father, we especially pray that today you would open our eyes by the power of your Spirit so that we might see the true nature of your Son, Jesus, so that we might know him better and so that we might worship him more fully as he deserves. We pray, Father, that you'd also develop in us the mind of Christ, as as Paul calls us to apply ourselves to in this passage. And we ask this in the incomparable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to spend at least the next three Sundays studying this passage and And we're going to approach our study of this a little bit differently than than the manner in which Paul presents it to us um, in in, uh, Philippians. The passage begins with Paul making an exhortation to us that we would adopt the same mindset, the same priorities in life as Jesus. And then he explains how Jesus exemplifies that. He shows us what the mind of Christ looks like, namely a life characterized by humility. And then following that in verses 9 through 11, Paul speaks of the exaltation of Jesus. But the order that we're going to do our study is that today we'll focus on verses 6 through 8, which deals with the humility, the humiliation of Jesus. And then next week we'll look at the exaltation of Jesus. And then most likely in two weeks we'll come back around and go back at verse 1 and look at those subsequent verses where we'll focus on Paul's exhortation to us of developing the same mind that Jesus possesses. So again, our focus today is upon the humility of Jesus and upon a study of his nature, a study of both his person, and his work. And here's our take-home for today. Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our worship because he's God. And he deserves our worship because of his humility. And we'll study this passage today by, by looking at Christ's humility in heaven and in his incarnation, and in his life and death. Let's consider first the humility that Jesus shows in heaven. And we see this in verse 6 and in the first portion of verse 7 where Paul, speaking of Christ, says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing. Jesus was with God in the beginning. It's John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And indeed, Jesus was God Himself. He he was and He is God the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity. Very God of very God, being of one substance, 
with the Father as we're told in the Nicene Creed. And here Paul is speaking of what's referred to as the pre-existence of Jesus. Before Jesus came to this earth in the incarnation, He was with the Father and He was with the Spirit in heaven as God. I appreciate the way that one Presbyterian preacher, a man named Derek Thomas, puts this. He says, before Bethlehem, Jesus was in the form of God. Before Jesus was consumed in the womb of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was in the form of God. During the times of the great prophets, Jesus was with the Father in the form of God. In the time of the patriarchs, in the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jesus was in the form of God. When David was king ruling over Israel, Jesus was in the form of God. At the very moment of the inception of the universe, when God said, let there be, God the Son was with God the Father and with God the Spirit. Christ was there in the form of God. This is Colossians 1, isn't it? He's the image of the invisible God, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's Hebrews 1.3 also. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And as we'll see as we continue, Jesus deserves our worship because of His humility. He deserves our worship first because He's God, but He also deserves our worship because of His humility. Paul says that although He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held onto. And and what Paul is saying here is that although the Son was God Himself, He didn't insist that He would maintain all of the rights and privileges that God deserves. But instead, as Paul says in verse 7, He made Himself nothing. Or as some translations put it, He emptied Himself. Now this doesn't mean that He emptied Himself of His deity, because if He did that, He would cease to be God. One of my professors at seminary put it this way, in saying that the Son emptied Himself, We understand that as meaning that God the Son voluntarily gave up the independent exercise of the prerogatives of deity. The infinite and limitless God the Son was willing to take on flesh and to become man. 
He took on flesh. And when he did that, he experienced the limitations that come with being a person. His delight was to serve the will of the Father. And it was the will of the Father that he would send his Son to the earth as a man in order to redeem mankind. And in that we see Christ's humility in his incarnation. And notice in verse 7 that Christ didn't make himself nothing by subtracting. But how does Paul say that God the Son made himself nothing or emptied himself? He did that by taking. He made himself nothing or, or he emptied himself not by subtracting something, but by adding something to himself. And what was it that he added to himself? Well, it was humanity. And what does Paul say that he was in the form of? He took upon himself the form of a servant. Literally a slave. Christ made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant. Jesus deserves our worship because He's God. But Jesus also deserves our worship because He didn't insist on hanging on to the rights and privileges that come with being deity. But instead, He who was everything made Himself nothing. And He did that for your sake. What humility... What beautiful, worship-inspiring humility that your God demonstrates for you. This humility of this One who is God Himself, the limitless One, allows Himself to experience the limitations that come with being a man. And you'll remember that He didn't just come as a man, but He came also as what? as a poor, helpless babe. The God who knows all things, the God who has all power in heaven and on earth, became a little helpless baby, born to a poor, unwed teenage mother, born in a cold, dark, damp stable in Bethlehem, amid the filth and the stench of the animals that were there in that manger. And He came to us as a servant. He came to us as a nobody. Isaiah 53 says that He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Do you sometimes feel despised by others? Jesus knows what that feels like. Do you sometimes feel like a nobody? Jesus knows what that feels like. Do you sometimes feel rejected by others? Jesus knows what that feels like. 
he came and he associated with the low, lowliest of the low. He came to be associated even with you and with me. And he came to us not to be served, but to serve. And how is it that he served? Well, that's Mark 10:45 and Matthew 20:28. 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what we see Paul making reference of in verse 8 of Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus deserves our worship because he is God. Jesus deserves our worship because of the humility that he shows us in heaven. Jesus deserves our worship because of the humility that he shows us in the incarnation. And Jesus deserves our worship because of the humility that he shows us in his life and in his death. Jesus deserves to be worshiped for his obedience. Obedience really is one of the great markers of the life of Jesus. In every way, on every day, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. He obeyed and he submitted perfectly to the mission that the Father gave him to fulfill in order to secure our redemption. And he perfectly obeyed also God's will for mankind in obeying all of God's commands. And in doing that, he was able to become our Redeemer. He was able to become our substitute, our covenant representative. Paul speaks of that in in Romans 5.19. Paul says, For as by the one man's disobedience, meaning the disobedience of Adam, by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience, meaning the obedience of Christ, the many will be made righteous. Jesus was obedient. But he wasn't just obedient, but he was also obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And here again, we see the unfathomable humility of Christ put on full glorious display for us. The Father doesn't just ask the Son to humble himself and become a man, but he asks him to humble himself by taking on the form of a servant, a slave, a nobody, the lowest of the low. He humbled himself by willingly subjecting himself to the law. And he humbled himself even by being willing to die. But he doesn't just die, but he dies the most despicable and despised and shameful death that there ever was. He dies on the cross. Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our worship because He's God. He deserves our worship because of His humility. Friends, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus because of His humility. Worship Jesus because of the love that the Father and the Son have for you. 
Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. The One who was all-powerful allowed Himself to be taken under the power of sinful men. The One who was all-powerful allowed Himself to be held by chains, to be insulted, to be slapped, to be spat upon. The one who gave life to all flesh and blood allowed sinful men to beat him and to whip him until blood poured out of his body. The eternal one allowed himself to taste death and to be put into the very earth that he created. And he did this for you. And He did all of this because He is the servant par excellence. He did this because He lives to be a servant of His Father. And He did this to live to be a servant to humanity. And He did this in particular, He humbled Himself and He died and He rose again because He is a servant to God's elect. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah speaks of one to come, Messiah. And Isaiah calls this one God's suffering servant. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 12, that God's suffering servant will pour out his life to death. Well, Jesus is that suffering servant of God who poured out his life For God's elect. He's the one who poured out his life for you. If you recognize your need for him. And if you place your faith, your trust in him. Friends, make much of Jesus. False gods demand to be served. God deserves our service too. But we serve him only because he first served us. In other religions, one must try to climb their way up to God by doing various things, by being good enough. But the story of Christianity is because, as Ruthie used to say as a way of explaining the gospel, we couldn't get to God, so God came to us. God came to us. Jesus came to us. He left His Father's side in heaven where the angels adored Him. And He humbled Himself. And He joined His divine person with the substance of a woman. And He became a man. And He succeeded where we have failed. And He gave His life as an atonement for sin to reconcile us back to the Father. For as we're told in 1 Timothy 2, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. Friends, worship Jesus. And then seek to conform your life to His. And to live as He lived. As a servant of the Father. And as a servant of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Pray with me again, please. Lord, I know I did not do this passage justice. Lord Jesus, you are deserving of all honor and praise and allegiance because you are God. Make our hearts to be alive, to respond to this beautiful display of humility that you show, Lord, that we see in this passage and that we saw in every moment of your life. And Lord, when we talk to others about you, when we talk to those who may not know you in a saving way, Lord, may we present this version of you to them. May we proclaim that you are God, and may we also speak and marvel with them, worship before them as we speak of you, of what you were willing to do for the sake of your people. That you were willing to give up all of the rights and privileges of being God. Lord, to come and to serve a people, even to serve a people who would reject you. And Lord, cause us to be humble as well and to recognize that we too would have rejected you if it were not for the quickening work of your Holy Spirit and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit who has opened our eyes in the same way that, that Paul's eyes were opened when the scales fell from them after meeting you on the Damascus Road. Lord, remove any blindness that may remain in us, in our eyes or in our hearts, where we fail to see you as being altogether glorious. Capture our hearts through your holiness, through your humility, Lord, we pray. Amen.